Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Sound Medicine Podcast. I'm Barbara Lewis, and this is episode number four. We're going to begin today with what it really takes to build stronger bones. The mortality risk of hip fracture is similar to the mortality risk of breast cancer, is that you have a 50% chance of dying within one year of a hip fracture if you're over 50 years old. A recent New York Times Health column challenged the theory that weight-bearing exercise actually builds bone strength. The column cited studies that found that if exercise helps at all, it's minimal. My guest is Dr. John Jaquish. He has a PhD in biomedical engineering, and he thinks the Times column was correct as far as it went. But his view is that there is a way for older bones to get stronger. He says that the problem with conventional exercise is that it takes high-impact exercise to spur new bone growth. And that's why you're seeing people jumping off those boxes in the gym, walking and swimming. Just don't cut it. So Jaquish designed a device that allows the user to work against much more resistance than conventional gym equipment. He says the so-called osteogenic loading has a much lower risk of injury. My own personal story, when my mother told me she was she was osteoporotic and she was distraught about it and she, she read the statistics. My first approach was, okay, we need to get her to function very well. well she was a tennis player. She, she had great balance. Uh, it wasn't going to be the issue, but people do fall. No matter how great your balance is, sometimes you, you end up falling. So how do we make somebody fracture-proof was the, was the question. And uh, I... I actually found the answer to be very obvious. We need levels that are seen in high impact, and it's very possible. One of the most interesting things, and if there's, there's some videos online, if you, if you look up osteogenic loading, you can see that the human body is, actually has a trigger at the point where we have uh, the, the natural ability to absorb impact. So if you trip and fall, Barb, if you put your hands out in front of you, there's a specific position your reflexes will take you to. Mm-hmm. The back of your hand will be in line with your clavicle, and there'll be a 120-degree angle between your upper and lower arm. So, and that's everybody. That's small children. That's elderly people. Everybody absorbs the impact in, in similar positions. And in those positions, 
humans, even deconditioned humans, are capable of incredible levels of force. So my mother, who was osteoporotic, the first time she used the device, she was putting 600 pounds through her legs. And that would seem like a lot. Now she's more than double that number. But in that impact position, we are capable of incredible things. There just was never a tool before this that could enable that trigger to be active. The minimum dose response to trigger an osteogenic effect within bone, meaning pulling, having minerals being pulled into the bone to grow bone, is the minimum dose response is 4.2 multiples of body weight. So that's, Barb, you can imagine that's not very easy for people to place through their lower extremities and their hip joint. <clears throat> so these, these loads are seen in high-impact activity, which is how children build bone density because they go through high-impact activity. And then as we become older, our, our heel strike changes a little bit and our biomechanics change. So it's more, more like as, as we become adults, we, we soften the, the impact through the lower extremities and then we get less loading. So uh, my, my research was to develop a medical device. My, my, my project for, for when, I, when I became a biomedical engineer was I wanted to develop something that would elicit an effect of four, more than 4.2 multiples of body weight, the benefit of high impact without the risks of high impact. Now, is this device for somebody already with osteoporosis? Because that sounds a bit dangerous, if you will. No, no, no. It's, it's not dangerous at all. So the idea is people place loading through the joint, through the hip joint specifically, based on their own comfort. So they're using biofeedback. There's actually a computer screen in front of them. When individuals do this, they, they put loading through the joint and they go to whatever level they're comfortable with. And then each week, they do it one time per week, and each week they adapt from there so that number keeps getting higher and higher as they build bone density. Is this something that you could figure out a way to do on your own without uh, special equipment? Yes and no. You, you could engage in high-impact activity, but you won't find many physical therapists that will recommend this or physical medicine rehabilitation physicians because of the risk. So the idea, I actually developed the device to treat my mother's osteoporosis because I wanted to get those high levels of loading, but my mother was in her 70s at the time. So I, I can't have her jumping off of boxes to, to get these high levels of impact. In fact, to get to 4.2 multiples of body weight, you need to drop from a surface that's more than 15 inches off the ground. So you wouldn't have most adults do that. That would have some danger associated. I mean, I felt like the idea that exercise helps core strength and helps you from falling seems worthwhile in itself. It is. And there are, there are different, different issues when it comes to that relating to fall prevention so someone developing balance must first develop strength, the strength to stand up uh, very readily or easily, like the get-up-and-go test when somebody's sitting in a chair, and how, how long and how proficiently do they, are they able to stand up without pushing off with their hands. Uh, that is a, a critical metric for fall prevention, but ultimately 
we want both fall prevention and fracture prevention. We want to enable people to have better function and, and lower postural sway, but we also want them to be resistant to fracture if they happen to hit the ground. What studies are you pointing to as proof? I mean, um, have there been studies? Yes, probably the, the most powerful study uh, published was in the uh, Journal of uh, Bone Mineral Research, uh, and it was published just uh, just in 2012 by uh, uh researchers Deere, Sayers, Rittweiger, and Tobias. And it's a brilliant piece of research because they used accelerometers to actually identify what the minimum level of force required to trigger growth in the hip. So they they used accelerometers and then watched uh, people's activities with the accelerometers, and then they measured their bone turnover markers. It's a brilliant piece of research. So they could actually identify what the minimum threshold was. So now when I look at my own research, uh, the, the, things, the things I've published and, and then others have published based on the device that I designed, we get to seven multiples of body weight with the device that I designed. And we get to it with an elderly deconditioned postmenopausal population, and we get to this very easily and very safely. Uh, there have been over 600,000 sessions logged in never an instance of injury in accordance with regular use so that people are able to trigger this effect, this bone density growth effect, without the risks that would normally be associated with high impact. So I have to ask you this because I'm thinking about getting, you know, 600 pounds of force through my legs. I'm thinking I'm going to be sore the next day. Um, In terms of using the machine, what's the effect on the patient? Increases in bone density if it's applied correctly. Now, there, there are other factors that play into bone health, hormonal health, and, and things like that. So it, it doesn't necessarily work for every single person who does it. But what we've seen in research is the majority of people, it does have a very powerful effect on. And uh, there was a, a London-based hospital group that did a study that published last summer that showed an over 14% increase in bone density in both the hip and the spine, and that's multiples of what even the highest effective, highest effective level pharmaceuticals have shown. So for people at risk for developing osteoporosis, and those are people that are maybe um, not postmenopausal, women that are not postmenopausal, but, but certainly cover some, uh, carry some risk factors in their, in, in their background, um, what should they be doing? Well, there's a number of things, eating the proper diet and taking some of the risk factors out of their diet, uh, carbonated uh, cola drinks, sodas, uh, there's a, there are acids in there that are very damaging to bone. There are different medications that are contraindicated for, for bone density. So sometimes people will have a risk factor like they drink soda or like they smoke cigarettes or consume more than five alcoholic beverages a week, which are all risk factors, and then even having it in the family is another risk factor. So when having these risk factors, individuals need to be conscious that they can compound the problem by doing that. So that's, that's a preemptive move. Uh, looking at vitamin D levels, vitamin D gets less discussion than calcium, but it may have equal importance. And also, there's been some, I feel, unfortunate information about calcium supplementation. Recently, there was a meta-analysis published showing that calcium doesn't have any effect on fracture rates. It doesn't stop fractures from happening. But 
people need to keep in mind, these meta-analyses were done based on the population as the population uses calcium. People take in calcium and don't change their behavior. So if, for example, someone were going through high-impact activity or they were using the osteogenic loading device that I designed, they would be able to use the calcium. So calcium is a building block, and I, I liken it to excess protein intake with a weightlifter. A weightlifter lifts weights and takes in the protein. What if they didn't lift the weights and just took the protein? They would probably just gain body fat. They wouldn't build any, any muscle. So if we look at these recommendations in a wider spectrum of how the body functions and these principles of human physiology, calcium and vitamin D can be used as a building block if we stimulate the body to use them. And John, how big of a problem is this? Because there's so, so many things about our health that we need to pay attention to. You know, there's there there there's heart health, there's there's diabetes, there's there's every there's a lot of things that Americans are um, susceptible to because of our lifestyles. Um, where does osteoporosis rate in our country? Actually, it is a little underplayed with its level of seriousness, and I think that's unfortunate. The risk, the mortality risk of hip fracture is similar to the mortality risk of breast cancer. So very similar death rates. The, the, the takeaway statistic I always tell women or postmenopausal women is that you have a 50% chance of dying within one year of a hip fracture if you're over 50 years old. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's quality of life, too. I'm thinking of, you know, for a lot of the elderly population, it's the hip fracture means pneumonia or... That's you right. Know. That's right. And that's what ends their life. It's not the actual fracture. It's the complications that come from the fracture. So how old is your mom and is she still playing tennis? My mom hasn't played tennis in a little bit. She moved to, uh, to the Lake Tahoe area. She was living in the Napa Valley. But my mother just turned 80 and she has the bones of a 30-year-old woman. Yeah. And if she's living in the Tahoe area, she's probably hiking. Or at least walking. She's not. She's not walking on level surfaces. <laughs> no, no. She is. She is walking up and down mountains, and she's very healthy and very happy. John Jaquish is affiliated with OsteoStrong. That's a chain of clinics that uses the bone strengthening device he developed. In a moment, how much sleep do you and your kids really need? You're listening to the Sound Medicine Podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. 
If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. And welcome back. I'm Barbara Lewis. So recently, a German reality TV show turned into a natural sleep experiment. The participants were put into a simulated Stone Age environment. No electricity, no modern devices whatsoever. Pretty soon, people settled into their own natural sleep cycle based on daylight, nighttime hours, and when they got tired. So one of the unintended consequences of this television show was that it provided evidence of how much sleep our bodies really need. And it turns out that the median for that small group of people was seven hours. Dr. Aaron Carroll, one of my favorite medical skeptics, wrote about this in his New York Times Upshot column. I asked him if those findings jibed with the other research he had seen on sleep. What's interesting is there's still a range. So we can talk about what people need on average. We can talk about what most people get, but it turns out probably that the amount of sleep that a person needs is pretty individual, that there may even be a reasonable genetic component to it. Um, and that some people are just great on six and a half hours and others would be suffering miserably. And some people may need eight and a half and other people may not. And so we can get a sense of what people do need and we can get a sense of sort of average and medians, but that doesn't mean that that's what everyone needs, nor would I ever take it to mean that, that we should be telling individuals that the amount of sleep that they're getting and feel good is wrong. Okay. So when we talk about sleep, are we talking about consecutive time? Because I was thinking, well, you know, do naps count? I mean, if you need, you know, if you feel like you need eight hours of sleep and you get you know, six, and somehow you figure out naps during that day? Naps do probably count in the sense that um, certainly when we talk about babies and younger kids that they get a certain amount of sleep cumulatively at night and then they get more sleep during the day when they nap. There's also been some good research that shows that people who do even short naps during the day gain some benefits from it. But Again, it's like we don't do sort of natural experiments to see, well, would sleeping nine hours at night be the same as sleeping seven hours plus a two-hour nap? How do people? We just don't know. Um, but people function differently, and they hopefully do figure out what works for them. Most of the time when we're talking about, like we see in the, in the study of those Germans, it's, that's not longest in one batch because people do wake up in the middle of the night. It takes time after they lay down till they fall asleep. Sometimes they wake up, they go back to sleep. Sometimes they wake up, they get up. Um, that's sort of how much they got cumulatively together over the course of an evening. But it seems like for Americans, and you went to medical school, so you know, I mean, there's a pride in not sleeping. I mean, you didn't sleep for, <laughs> for years. So funny because I was the guy that was the opposite of that. Like my fellow residents would always take pride with that. And, and every time um, I came off call and somebody would say to me, did you have a good night? I'd say, by definition, it was bad. 
Like even if I slept, it was fitfully because I was panicked that the, the, the beeper was going to go off or someone called and woke me up. Like even if I was left mostly alone for 10 hours, it was a crappy night's sleep just because of the, the concern. So I never understood that. It's also one of those things where whenever they do research to see uh, how bad sleep deprivation is and how many people can make mistakes, it always seems to be like pilots and residents. But the you know the airline industry has taken major steps to fix that with fixed short rotations, forced naps on long flights, um, forced breaks. While well, residencies don't do that at all. Like we still think a twenty four hour shift is awesome, um, and it's totally allowed, even with current what many people think is a restrictive guidelines. Uh, so it's. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, I can come up with theories why it's still tolerated in medicine, but I don't understand why people think it's a badge of honor uh, to try to function on, on very little or no sleep. Yeah. And for adults, um, you know, medical students notwithstanding here in this discussion, we can, we can kind of, we have some flexibility in our schedule, but your article in, in the New York Times in the Upshot um, column is that for teens, we tell them, you know, and we just go ahead and, and take every single bit of science <laughs> that we know and say, oh, no, thank you. you well, know? and it's also part of that we can debate and argue about whether adults need seven or seven and a half, but it's, it's more widely accepted that kids and even teens need more sleep than that, that eight to nine hours may be what is required for a teenager. Given that we start high school so early, and I still don't know why, um, most, excuse me, most jobs don't begin until, you know, eight or later, but high school starts way earlier. My, I mean, I use my son as an example, but next year when he's in ninth grade, the bus will come at 6.45. You know, if we backtrack and that means he's got to get up at, say, 6.15, then that means he has to be asleep by 9.15 to get nine hours of sleep. Oh, Jacob is special. He might do that because he likes going to bed early. I don't know why. He's got some of his mom in him, but... um. But most kids in my other two kids, they'll never do that. You know, and, you know, if we add in after-school activities, if we add in they might work, their parents probably work, they want to eat with them, so they might eat dinner late, they have to do homework, they might want to have a social life for a while. I mean, it's almost impossible to be asleep by 9.15 as a teenager, but we force them to get up so early for high school, we're, we're telling them that they, they can't possibly get enough, and that's our own fault. There's also even an argument to be made that hormonally the way teens are that going to bed at 9.15 doesn't work. Uh, it's just, it's very difficult to go to bed that early. That They almost need to stay up that late. Most adults can't go to bed that early. Uh, and so forcing them to get up early enough to make it to school at 6.45 is, is making it impossible for them to get enough sleep. And what's the downside of not getting enough sleep? I mean, you know, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you with my eyes half closed because I didn't get enough sleep. But I mean, I, so you know you're groggy. But for, for these teenagers, what's, what's the real downside? So, I mean, some are, some are severe and some are not. I mean, you know, they've done some studies where they've changed school times from, you know, start times from earlier, say 7.30 to all the way up to almost 9 o'clock. And they've shown that test scores go up, that learning goes up, that attendance goes up. Um, What's even more concerning is they have some evidence that car accidents in teens go down. And car, you always have to remember that you know, accidents are often the number one killer of children um, and that this is a viable way to, to try to make that a bit safer. Uh, if you are tragically sleep deprived, I mean, when they do experiments, your, your empathy goes down. 
Um, your ability to think rationally goes down. Your pain tolerance goes down. I mean, it can have significant mental and physical effects of, of you know, real severe sleep deprivation and chronic sleep deprivation. And we're forcing a generation of teenagers to be chronically sleep deprived. And what about junior high? So it starts a little bit later, and the kids can go to bed a little bit earlier, so it doesn't seem to be as much of an issue. You know, again, my my kids, they'll be embarrassed if this if anyone ever hears this, but they we force them to get, you know, go upstairs usually around 8.15, and um, that's a, a fourth grader, a sixth grader, and an eighth grader. Um, and we'll let them, you know, lay in bed and, you know, do something if they want, but we try to get them ramping down and reading or something pretty early. And so, you know, Sydney, my fourth grader, can sleep past seven because her bus doesn't come till 745. Uh, and so if she's in bed by 815, 830, and she doesn't have to get up till seven, she gets more than enough sleep. Um, and Noah, you know, who's my sixth grader, still, you know, he, he rolls out of bed probably around 645. And so as long as he's in bed by now, but the problem is like the high school starts the earliest, and they go to bed the latest. And it's difficult. And that's, that's sort of where the sweet spot is and where most of the problem seems to be. So I read the comments um, just out of, <laughs> I don't know if you do it. I always do, every single one. But that one, those comments seemed rather benign to that, that the New column. York, My columns of the New York Times have most of the time attracted, I like to think, a pretty good group of, of commenters. They rarely get vitriolic or, or terrible. There were a few where, where they were arguing like, well, back, you know, you, you could almost hear the age in them. Like back in my day, you know, we didn't have the, these problems. It's the devices, it's the, it's, the, it's the computers, it's the internet. They need to get off that and go to bed because I used to start school at 8.30 in the morning and there were no problems. And the next commenter said like, did you read it? That was exactly the point. School should start at 8.30. Instead, we're starting at like at 7, like 7.30. And it like, it goes right over people's heads. Like the problem is we've ramped up school earlier that it used to start later, and that we that we made it earlier and earlier, and that's where the problem lies. Yeah. Did you ever kind of end up putting your finger on like who's to blame when I'm looking at you, state <laughs> educators? I, well, I think there's a there's a combination. I think one is that um, they're trying transportation budgets have been cut, and they are trying to reuse buses, and so they have to stagger the buses between you know primary school, middle school, and, and, uh, and high school, and they don't want to make the kindergartners and the first graders be waiting out on the bus at 6.45. In the dark. Right. So they have to make it the high schoolers. So that's part of it. The other problem is I think as more and more people work, you know, they want to get their kids off to school before they have to leave for work, um, which has made that, that need for staggering butts up against the need to reuse buses staggering, and high schoolers get screwed. So one last question, going back to adults and just general advice. I mean, how in the heck do you really know, you know, as a, just an average American that, that works, how would you even know how much sleep? I, so if you're tired all day, if you feel like you're not producing, if you, if you could sleep more, you probably need more sleep. I mean, but there's a question of like, is it pathologic or is it a one-time thing or is it... Uh, or is it, you know, is it something that you just, you, it just takes you a little bit of extra time to wake up in the morning? I find that if I actually get too much sleep, I start waking up at 4 a.m. and I can't sleep anymore. Um, and so I, I don't want to get too much sleep. There are times when I tell my wife, like, I'm not getting in bed yet. You know, I need to, I can't do this because if I lay down and I fall asleep now, I'm going to be up at 5 a.m. because I don't need more than eight or so hours of sleep. It's never going to work. So I think you can figure it out. 
but it requires, I think, some of us as adults to unplug, to, 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 to follow some good sleep hygiene about making the bed for sleep and not for watching TV or surfing the internet or doing many other things and giving ourselves a chance to fall asleep earlier um, than we otherwise do. Dr. Aaron Carroll is a professor of pediatrics at the Indiana University School of Medicine. If you like what you're hearing on Sound Medicine, please share this podcast with a friend. You can subscribe and leave a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Sound Medicine is produced by Nora Hyatt and engineered by Chris Lieber. We have support from the Indiana University School of Medicine. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. In the meantime, take care. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.